not with a chip on our shoulder. You know, we don't deserve that to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, if you haven't cut the grass for a long time, um, then you have a lot of work to do when you finally decide to do it. And I think that's what's happened in uh, America and in the Western world. You know, I mean, the church has been silent for such a long time, inactive, complacent, and the grass has kind of grown tall. And now it's, it's a lot more work than it was in 1968 when you were saying that, you know. Um, but, you know, even if you start late cutting the grass, actually you can cut it, especially if you have a good, powerful uh, mower, right? Uh, so it's like we do have a very powerful motor, actually, the Holy Spirit, amen? So I think it's just a matter of getting to the, beginning the task again, not being discouraged. It's going to take a while. You got to cut through a lot of stuff, but it, it, it's doable, and we got to become aware of that, and that's the problem that we, we're just intimidated and say, oh, man, this grass is too tall, and then you just go back to sleep and let it continue getting higher and higher. Begin cutting it. Begin declaring the word of God. Begin sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And after you cut through all the muck, then you start making real progress. But you got to be willing to pay up front. That's all. That's what it is. It's not a big deal. You know, God is, God's gospel is too powerful to be held back if we believe in it. Okay? So that's my first sermon. That one is free. I won't charge you for it. Here comes the second one. And welcome, by the way, to our visitors, and Merry Christmas also. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Um, last Sunday, I shared from this same passage, but I want to take a different attack. I want to look at it from a different perspective now, from the perspective of the shepherds. And why shepherds? Why announce the, the birth of Jesus Christ to a bunch of lowly shepherds? What was the meaning in that? It says in verse 8, Luke 2, that... There were in the same region shepherds out in the field. And if you can give me the NIV version, Marlene, please, that's what I use. The NIV, that would be great. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. That's what happens when you're before the presence of the Almighty. Um, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born. Notice that unto you. It's not just for there is born. I mean, Jesus' birth was personalized. It's, it's in your life. It's in my life. It can happen in your life if you don't know him yet. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, uh, and then he goes on. This is significant here, this verse 12. It says, and this will be a sign for you. I mean, he's talking to the shepherds. And he's saying, there will be a special sign to you guys. And you'll be able to get it when you see it. There will, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
again, dwelling with animals, dwelling in a place. And these shepherds would have identified with this manger. You know, there's probably, you've seen the proverbial donkey and a, and a cow and so on and so forth in that manger, in the pictures that we have of his birth. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She, she kind of meditated. She herself wasn't fully aware of the meaning of this mystery. She who was bearing God's son, her own son, didn't really comprehend the entire mystery. She was, after all, an uneducated woman, a young girl, maybe 16, 14, 17, who knows, at that early age. Ignorant, probably illiterate. She couldn't wrap her brain around this mystery that she was bearing. And so she pondered. She just kept thinking about it. Um, and, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In other words, they shared the good news. They shared the message. They shared what they had seen, what they had witnessed, what they had experienced. They didn't keep it to themselves. The angels had told them, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. And that's what they did. But that's not really the point of my message this morning. <clears throat> As I said, last, last Sunday we, we dwelt on the incarnation. This baby lying in a manger, flesh, um, in the discomfort of his uh, human form, God abiding in this straight jacket of humanity. And we talked about the discomforts that Jesus had to embrace when he, when he came to earth, this God uh, sort of uh, thinning himself into this fine life form of a child and experiencing for the first time this biological life, the smells of being in this body and uh, the discomforts and so on. How he experienced it, I'm not sure. I don't think he processed it any of this con consciously. This is the mysteries of the incarnation. But there was a discomfort, I'm sure. His essence inside of him felt discomfort at being in this. And we talked about the, the mystery of the incarnation, the, the suffering. That is no, it wasn't just the cross, which we kind of point to the, the, the essence of suffering. I think Jesus was crucified every moment of his life. From the moment that he was born, he, he was in a slow crucifixion just because of his incarnation, just because having to live this life in human form when he had dwelt for eternity in perfect glory, Perfect comfort, perfect self-sufficiency. And here he is now in this contingent form of a man. And uh, that was crucifixion, being tempted, being left, being betrayed, all the discomforts of human flesh, because he had to live that out for the benefit of this God that was witnessing this thing and being glorified by his slow cooking sacrifice, so to speak, but this idea of Jesus now uh, being uh, announced to this group of lowly shepherds is full of symbolism. His birth was full of symbolism. I mean, everything was intentional. God is an intentional God. He's always speaking through every aspect of existence, every detail. We are the slow ones that don't understand how God is always speaking through our emotions, our words, our circumstances, our sufferings, our joys, um, our fallenness. But... Um, you know, God is always speaking. The, the universe is always emitting all kinds of symbols, signals and symbols. 
and our life is full of that, and Jesus' birth certainly was. I mean, when he is there, uh, you know, in this magi, for example, who come and give him this present, we know that they were symbolic of his death and, and his status as a, as a king, the gold and the myrrh and all these different things. They, they spoke of who he was and what he would be and the kind of ministry that he would carry out. It, you know, it was full of symbolism. And so these, these shepherds being chosen was a symbol and was a message to us. Last week, as I studied on this passage of uh, Jesus' incarnation and so on, something, uh, I, I ran into a couple of commentaries <clears throat> that uh, awakened me to a side of Jesus as a being wrapped in swaddling clothes um, that I had never seen before. You know, in Spanish, you say, envuelto en pañales. He was, you know, pañales means like uh, pampers. You know, like, uh, just, uh, but uh, no, no. And you, you have this idea, you know, Jesus in a pair of pampers. Uh, but that's not what it, it means in English. You know, these swaddling clothes are, are historically very meaningful, very significant. Um, when babies were born, here's an image. You know, I wish, you probably can probably see it better. But, you know, look at, at Jesus. This is a rendition of a classic painting. And there are many. If you look at swaddling clothes images in Google, Saint Google, you will find, you know, these, these images of, uh, of uh, you know, he looks really almost like, uh, I, I thought of Lazarus when he comes out of his uh, grave wrapped also. And these, these were the kind of swaddling clothes that were used in antiquity to immobilize babies. There's a whole story behind it. I won't get into it at all. But, um, you know, they were wrapped in clothing that would immobilize them keeping them safe. Uh, there was a whole lot of other reasons why. But um, th this idea of uh, being wrapped in swaddling clothes had a lot of meaning. And, you know, for one of the things that occurred to me was that, you know, interestingly enough, the bookends of Jesus' life, his beginning in a, in a manger, he begins immobilized. He begins, you know, t uh, tightened up and, and unable to move. And he dies also immobilized on a cross. Um, nailed to a cross. And, you know, it's, it's ironic that in that moment of great uh, limitation, Jesus performed the greatest, most heroic, most powerful deeds that were ever unleashed on humanity and on the powers of hell. Through his uh, immobilization, Jesus saved humanity. He broke the power of hell. He initiated a new era in the cosmos because it's not about physical power. It's about the power of God that was in him. And many times in our own, it occurs to me that many times in our own limitations, as we accept them, as we revel in them, as we commit them to God and we say, Lord, I need you. You know, that can be the beginning of great power in our own lives as well. As we humble ourselves, as we make ourselves weak and ask the power of God to come into our lives and work itself through us, then something marvelous can happen. But this point, you know, this point of Jesus being wrapped up like this, being limited in his uh, mobility, um, in these swaddling clothes, brought another thing. In ancient uh, tradition, and you can look this up, uh, shepherds, when they discovered a lamb without blemish, which are the only lambs that could be offered in sacrifice in the temple, it was, a, it was a rare thing. It, it, they, not every lamb. Every lamb was born with a scratch or, you know, had something in them that uh, the, the, the circumstances of, of living, you know, made them imperfect. 
a wound, a bite from another lamb, or whatever. These things rendered these lambs unable to be sacrificed at the temple. So shepherds apparently were very careful. When they found a lamb that was unblemished, they would take that lamb, set it apart for sale to the temple. Uh, and, and of course, these lambs would probably get a better price. So they wanted to be very careful. While they waited to take these lambs to the temple, they would wrap them also in swaddling clothes. They would put protective clothes, just, to, you know, throw things over them in order to make sure that they were not damaged while they waited to be taken to the temple. I think it's, it's an intriguing idea that these lambs being led to sacrifice would be also wrapped in swaddling clothes in order to make them ready for the sacrifice that they would be used for in the temple. Do you get it? So that these shepherds would be very attuned to this idea of finding this child in swaddling clothes in a manger where they, you know, would feel very familiar. And perhaps subliminally, at least, they would get a message of the, the ministry that this baby was about to carry out. Certainly for God's intentional way of looking at reality, it certainly had a lot of meaning as well. So that already uh, Jesus is being wrapped in swaddling clothes and being assigned to these shepherds who would move in that kind of symbolism already speaks something about Jesus' coming ministry, the sacrificial lamb. Just as the gifts that he received from these uh, magi also spoke of his kingdom, of his uh, uh, crucifixion, these swaddling clothes... And interesting, as I say, that, that picture in particular, I chose it because it looks very ghostly and deadly. Like, you know, I mean, he's wrapped up. He's like a skeleton almost. Uh, there's a death uh, symbolism there. So in being wrapped in swaddling clothes, could Jesus perhaps have been already embracing his role and his function as a sacrificial lamb for us? At the very least... God was uh, giving us an image there for us to kind of ponder this morning. So this, this, this shepherds being told, you know, this will be a sign unto you that God wants to communicate to you about the role that this child will play one day being a sacrificial lamb for the salvation of mankind. So we, we need to... We need to understand this so that we can really, this, this whole process of Jesus' birth was so full of symbolism. The fact that he's in a manger, that there was no place found for him. The fact that his parents could not find a place for him to be born, a symbol of his coming rejection. The Bible says that he came to his own and his own, his own did not re receive him. The fact that he chose to identify himself with the homeless instead of uh, with the powerful and the rich. No place was found for him. The marriage was full. Um, and uh, he could not find a place, so he has to be born in this manger, which is the very embodiment of uh, biology, if you will. Animals live there. Uh, the whole, all the smells and all the, the rawness of life is manifested in a manger, and that's where Jesus is born because he is the, the son of man. He is that essence of life being manifested for our sake, and he has no place to dwell in and we should be 
very aware of, of uh, the pain of those that don't have a place to live as well. And, and we should do all we can to make out of our lives a, a manifestation of God's goodness, kindness, preference for those that are suffering. Um, and so, you know, just remember that as, as these, these things are, you know, these people living in the immediacy of their experience probably didn't get all of this stuff. Now we, with 2,000 years of distance and many, many thousands of books and commentaries written, we can see the entire thing. We can see the symbolism. And you know, there's an irony there because sometimes, you know, these people who are living out these symbols were not aware, perhaps, of many of them. And of how God's redemptive work was uh, working itself out through them, even at that moment, where it seemed like, you know, why do I have to be born here? Uh, why, why did they have to suffer homelessness and so on and so forth? But God was being glorified. And I want to invite you and myself, as we live out the dramas of our own lives this coming year, as we have lived out these dramas this year, you know, many times we feel ah, there's, no, there's no symbol, my suffering my problems, my struggling, my falling, my depression, my uh, homelessness, my joblessness, my lack of uh, documentation that doesn't resolve itself, all these things. You know, sometimes we think that that's all there is to it, that, you know, that this, there's no echo to our sufferings and to our dramas, that there's no meaning. I think God is always watching everything that happens in our lives. Everything that we do has a meaning. Everything has a purpose. Everything has an intentionality, and it is good. Your life has meaning to God. There are angels and demons and all of divinity is watching your life. God is interested in your drama. You know, and it especially gives me comfort to know what the Bible says, that to those who love God, all things work out for good. And that's sometimes, you know, that's not a, I know when you're going through suffering, that doesn't help you too much, you know. And don't quote it, by the way, to people when they're suffering because you might get smacked. But I think it's good to tell them at the right moment, you know, your life matters. Your life is meaningful, meaningful. You know, when you're going through different situations in your life, ask God, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? What are you teaching me? What secret message are you encoding in my life? Because God will speak to you. Give me wisdom, Lord, to understand what is going on. How can I interpret these moments? How can I use it to be better, to grow to know you better, to be stronger, or to be weaker. How are you enabling me to be stronger in my bleeding? How are you breaking me in my pride, my anger, my judgmental inclination? God uses all the brokenness of life, all the tra traumas and dramas to teach us something. He's always working. He's always working. That beautiful chorus, even though, even though I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't hear or I don't feel you, you're working. God is always emitting meaning. There's a psalm in the Bible that, that says about that. It just comes to my mind. I know it in Spanish. Un abismo llama otro a la voz de tus cascadas. Deep calls unto deep. There is message, you know. The deep is always calling out to the deep. The problem is that it's sometimes too deep for us to understand what is being said. But your life is deep. And your life is emitting messages. And you should be the first to understand that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the drama of your life and to find redemption. Much of the suffering that we experience is because we feel that our life has no meaning. It doesn't emit an echo. It has no vibration. It's just a, 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 a dead thud. But that's not it. No, our life is magnetic. Our life is vibrational. It emits messages. You have an absolute meaning. And God is interested 
in you, and, and he, he, he's very interested in your drama. He's a great reader, and he's a great writer as well. And your life is a novel that he's working out. Remember that when you think you're suffering alone. And these, these shepherds here and these, these people living out this drama, they, 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 um, they're, they're emitting all kinds of symbolism for our benefit 2,000 plus years later. So swaddling clothes, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, a premonition of what he would be and what he would become. Secondly, I think the, the, the fact that these men were among the first, these lowly shepherds, the first to receive the announcement of the birth of Jesus shows God's preference for the humble, the weak, the broken, the fallen, the outsiders, the insignificant, those who are rejected by society. God has a special preference. Politicians try to get benefit out of being the outsiders these days. You know, but, uh, but God really, he, he, he loved the outsiders. He loved uh, the unworthy. If you feel unworthy this morning, you are worthy and you are, you are preferable to God. That preferential option for the poor it's so important. If you feel that you've, you know, you're not where you need to be, welcome. You are in the good company of shepherds. Shepherds were not held in high esteem. Because of their work, they were actually considered impure. You know that Moses, in carrying out his work as a shepherd, he, um, the Egyptians detested shepherds. And it's interesting that God has a special preference for shepherds. Impure. Let me read you a little quote that I ran across this morning. Uh, it says, in ancient Israel, shepherds were generally considered unclean in the community of God's people because of the work they did. They were in daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep. Their manure, their blood from cuts and scrapes, those scrapes that they wanted to avoid, the, those sacrificial lambs from incurring, and the insects that buzzed around them. All of this meant that shepherds were almost never clean enough to worship with God's people in God's presence. So they were generally treated as outsiders. That adds more irony to the fact that these guys are the first, among the first to receive the announcement of the birth of God's son. Uh, you know, these, these shepherds that dwelt in that dirt communed with this sheep impure animals, uh, they, they, they were the object of God's preference. You know, it, it occurs to me, isn't this exactly what Jesus came to do? As we saw last Sunday in that mystery of the incarnation, he came to dwell among the dirt and smells of humanity. He himself was within his own biological impurities. He, he, he practiced them. He had to he went to the bathroom, forgive me if that sounds irreverent. But uh, he dwelt among, you know, the, 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 the fallenness of humanity. It's sinfulness. He, of course, was sin, sinless, but he was tempted, it says, in every way. And as we saw last Sunday, he didn't run away from that task. He, he, he didn't complain about it. He embraced his um, condition says that he, he went to the slaughter as a lamb, quietly, uncomplainingly, meekly. He embraced, he drank that cup to its final drop. He, 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 do, he came to dwell among the impure. And, uh, you know, these men, impure, unacceptable, questionable in their purity, are the ones that God says, I want them to know that my son was born, inviting rejected, 
smelly shepherd through his birth ceremony, he was declaring that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why, that's why he came. He was not as interested in the rich and the powerful as in the poor and the sinners. Those that had a humble heart and would be willing to accept him. By the way, he accepted everyone. Even as I say, his preference for the poor, I mean, he, there were magi there. These were also relatively wealthy, distinguished, knowledgeable scientists, kind of a mixture of astrologists and astronomers and magicians. And, but they were members of the aristocracy of their own faraway countries. They were very informed. And here they are also with the shepherds. You know, I mean, I, I need to clarify that because sometimes I think we get this false narrative that God hates or dislikes those that are, have some means. No. He, he embraces all. But he does have a preference for those poor because they're the ones that normally are rejected and ignored. And he does want them to be part of his celebration ceremony as well. He, he wants those that are broken. He wants you, if you feel that you're not up to it, that you've offended him, that uh, you, you, you keep falling and you keep... Uh, violating his laws, not that you will revel in that, not that you will practice it indolently and without pain, but he wants you to also know that, yeah, as a father has compassion on his children, so does God have compassion on us, for he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. So this morning, if you feel that you don't have much to offer God and that you have made a mess of your life and don't have a right to approach God, then you know what? You're in the company of the shepherds. God wants to announce himself to your life. He wants you to know that he's interested in having a relationship with you. You, you should understand that God is extremely interested in being born in your heart if you're willing to accept him. So we have these two elements here. Jesus being presented as a sacrificial lamb to us. And we see him also interested in the rejected and the poor. We see him saying in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In this power-driven culture, where the technologically advanced, the informed, the tech-savvy, uh, the, the wealthy, the young, the beautiful, the agile are glorified. Sometimes the elderly are looked down upon. The undocumented are discarded. Um, there's a celebration of power, raw masculinity in our nation, in, in all, all the nations. Even those who, who denounce that attitude themselves practice it, ironically. Nobody is exempt from, you know, that, that uh, guilt, really. We're simply too sophisticated many times to admit it, but, and we find ways. But this society craves and adores power and in information and being inside. Well, Jesus, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have not much to give, those who are broken, those who don't have all the agility, all the knowledge, all the tech. Um, these are the ones that Jesus is very interested in. So again, if you feel an outsider to God this morning, he says, hey, I, I'm, I want you to know I've been born. Now, there's a third quality that this passage reminds us of. So we have Jesus, uh, lamb, sacrificial lamb, Jesus seeking the lowly. There's a third quality, and it's this fact that Jesus, Jesus himself, in announcing himself to the shepherds, he, he wanted to 
associate himself with his coming ministry. Is, wasn't he the good shepherd? Wasn't his whole life an exercise in shepherding? Um, he identified himself that way. He wanted his colleagues to know that he had been born. Because he was a shepherd by nature. He would be a shepherd by nature. He's still a shepherd by nature in heaven, shepherding us. John 10, verses 11 through 18, Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd. Praise the Lord. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Amen. Does that excite you? Amen. You know, he, he owns you. He knows you. He loves you. He lays down his life. That's how important you are to him. He's a good shepherd. He's the essence of good shepherding. And that's who you have for a shepherd. Not somebody who will run away from you when you smell, when you mess up, when you offend him. He will stay with you for the course. He will leave the 99 and go for the one. Because that's his nature. Compassion, love, mercy, sacrificial affection. This is who we have. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is important for us in the, in the light of what we have been assembling here in the course of our service. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. There are sheep out there right now, my brothers and sisters, who they, 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 don't, be, they don't belong to our pen, so to speak. And Jesus is interested in bringing them in. We have, to, we have to be desperate to bring them in. We have to be radical. We have to be, you know, Lord, I, 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 I want to give birth to someone who will know you. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus the good shepherd inviting his colleagues to come and celebrate with him as he is born. To, to carry out the function of a shepherd. Jesus' lineage included shepherd. Did you know that? Who was the great shepherd that preceded Jesus? King David. Did you know, you know that he was a shepherd, right? Before he became a king, exactly what Jesus went through. He, became, he was a shepherd before becoming a king in the sense of being acknowledged. One day he would be acknowledged as king by humanity. He would be invited by those that rejected him. So he comes from a line of shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. My God. Um, how much symbolism can we stand? As we see from this passage, the essence of Jesus' ministry was about taking care of others. I am the good shepherd. I look for the lost. As a shepherd takes care of the sheep, he loves them and is willing to lay down his life for them. When he invited the shepherds to attend his birth, he was identifying himself with the character of a shepherd. I'm going to invite musicians to come forward. I'm Incredibly, I'm being very brief this morning, and uh, that's good. I think you need a little gift for Christmas. So I'll let my brevity (laughs) 
be your gift this morning. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. When Jesus invited himself to attend his birth, uh, the shepherds to attend his birth, he was identifying with the character of a shepherd. He was saying to us and to them, I am patient like a shepherd. I am ferocious in defending my sheep from those who would attack them. I am vigilant about their well-being. I go before them, guiding them through their life. All of these things were implicit and coded in that invitation, the presence of those shepherds. Um, and that moves me this morning. I'm not alone in my dramas. I have the eyes of a good shepherd, benevolent, kind, tolerant, patient, compassionate, forgiving, affirming, uh, absolutely incomprehensible in his goodness. And um, he promises to be with us every day until the end of time. You know, Jesus' uh, shepherding continues. After he ascends, he doesn't stop being the shepherd. He says, I will go and I will send the paraclete. I will send the Holy Spirit. You know what the paraclete means? It's a, it's a fancy word. All it means is the one who stands next to us. The one who accompanies us. He sent his Holy Spirit to continue the shepherding function. When he went to heaven, he said, I'm, I'm going to come down in a different form. And I'm going to shepherd you from inside. I'm going to be your shepherd. Church with a capital C and you your own individuality, your own humanity. I'm going to shepherd you from inside and from outside. I'm going to teach you all truth. I'm going to console you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to cheer you up. I'm going to be a cheerleader for you. That's what Paracletes did in antiquity. He continues to shepherd us through his Holy Spirit. Now, how do we have, how do we acquire that, that presence? By accepting Christ. He says, I, if you open your Life, I will come in and dwell with you and you with me. I will dine with you. I'll have intimacy with you. All it takes is opening the door and he comes in as the shepherd to guide us. And that's what I hope you have done or that you will do even this morning before we wrap this up. I want to challenge you. I want to make sure that you have the shepherd of shepherds dwelling in your manger. That is done by an affirmation. It is done by an invitation. It is done by a recognition. It is done by a confession. And I hope that none of us is too proud, too proud or haughty or self-sufficient or comfortable in our own intellectual synthesis to allow ourselves to be broken and to accept the narrative of God that he sent his only son to make us acceptable to him, to bring us into reconciliation with him. He put his son through all kinds of discomforts because you're not good enough to do it by yourself, no matter how benevolent you may think you are, how honest, how hardworking, how inoffensive you may think you are, you're not good enough to dwell in that heavenly perfect place. You need shepherd to usher you in, okay? You need to ask him. You need to invite him. 
that, that story is repeated over and over again. Talk about intentionality and symbolism. Friday night as we exited from, as I exited from the church late after a, a prayer session, there were, there were two people sleeping at the door here. Um, you know, every time we open the gate, it's like a, it's a new visit. Who, who, who will we get tonight sleeping in front of the door? That's the homelessness that we have here. And there was these two, these two younger types sleeping, you know, there. And, and um, as I, I, you know, they were, they were, they were woke uh, by my, my car. And um, I stopped. And I have to confess, I, I gently told them, listen, you're not supposed to be sleeping here. There are places that are safe for you to sleep in. Um, so we, I started a conversation with them. And uh, I found out very quickly that uh, it's a couple. He was Latino. She was white, uh, Anglo-European. And uh, they told me that she was two months pregnant. And I said, you know, uh, and I, I told them, guys, you, you, you're so beautiful. You're so young. You're, you look gifted. I asked her, how did, how, do you know, how did you know Spanish? Because you spoke to me in Spanish, broken Spanish. And she said, well, I learned, I've learned her on the street. And I said, hey. That means you're an intelligent young woman. You can use that intelligence to learn. To you, you don't need to live like this. You're precious to God. Come to come to our church. I told I, I made my pitch. Told them that Christ could change their life. That uh, here was a community that was very acceptant and loving, and that we wanted to be a part of their life and commit ourselves to helping them and helping them out in their life in their journey. But they shouldn't feel unacceptable. And I invited them to allow Christ to come into their life. They, you know, uh, they didn't quite accept at that moment. And unfortunately, this morning, I found them again there. I don't know if they're here. And if they are, forgive me. I, I, we, don't, we don't know who you are anyway, so I want to be respectful of you. But, you know, the point is that... Um, you know, you may find yourself... Anyway, first of all, it was interesting to me that it was almost like a little urban uh, nativity scene. <laughs> a pregnant mom and a young man here in the middle of Roxbury, no place to sleep, and here they are in front of the church. But, you know, there's also another irony that, that really breaks my heart, which is that unless people invite Christ to come in, they'll be left whole and unbroken and uh, then there's no hope. There's no, no breakthrough. You have to invite the Christ to come in. You have to accept that you are needy. You have to be willing to take that journey, which is sometimes scary, even terrifying. And the devil will tell you that there's no hope, that there's too, too much that you need to make up for. That, that there's just, just too much to learn, too much to replace. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God is powerful. He can do anything. He can change the hardest dif difficulties, the, the most difficult circumstances. He can transform your life. Jesus is not just about religion. It's about power entering into your life and your situation and transforming it for his glory. You can do anything if you have the power of the shepherd inside of you. Do not let the devil tell you that it's not possible. Open your life to him. Don't let inertia keep you away from the greatest treasure of all. You know, many people don't reject Christ, but they don't accept them either. So they're left in a limbo, and, and that's not good enough. You have to accept them. You have to give your life to him. You have to sacrifice your ego. And so this morning, let's bow our head for a second here, or do whatever it takes to just get inside yourself for a moment. And I want you to find that place 
of invitation and of acknowledgement. Break through now and say, Jesus, come into my life. And if you want to do that, here's a space that's open among your friends and family right now. I would love to invite you to come forward and I want to pray with you. Don't worry about anybody looking on or anything like that. That's not the point. The point is you got you to gotta fight for this moment. The, the devil will try to lie to you. Don't be too proud to say, Lord, I need you. Would you raise your hand or come forward or ask the person next to you, listen, can you pray for me? If you haven't received Christ, if he hasn't been born in your manger, I invite you to do it right now. Ask him to come forward. It has power, I'm telling you. There's a power to opening your insides to Christ that uh, is in, has no comparison. It may seem like a trivial thing to do, like a religious thing to do. But no, I have seen what happens when people take the jump and take the risk of inviting Christ into their life. Would you like to do that? And if you don't want to come forward, that's fine. You can just raise your hand wherever you are. I would like to pray for you. If there's anyone here who wants to do that this morning, my sister comes to express her affiliation, if you will. That's wonderful. You may have done it before and you feel that you want to just do it again or, or whatever. I bless you, my brother. Anyone else? It's open. The table is set. I mean... God will not eat the food that he has set for you. You have to do that. But he will set the table this morning. He will. He says, come all ye who are weary, heavy laden, or just too satisfied and you need some relief. I invite you to come forward. Come and receive the, the blessing of the living, born Christ. I... I I reaffirm him right now in my own life. Jesus, be born again in me, fresh, fresh, new. Come. I need you. I need your power. I need your power. Jesus is powerful enough to change lives. Nothing too big, no burden too, too heavy, no path too filled with debris. I'm telling you, if you only believe in this nuclear Christ, You will be surprised and delighted at what he can do. Is there anyone else uncertain, unsure? If you're uncertain, if you're unsure, this is the moment. Come on. This is free, but it's, it costs something. Yeah, it's not totally free. You got to sacrifice your pride. Come on. Jesus is being born right now. He wants shepherds, lowly, disqualified, unqualified to come forward and say, I want you to live in my manger. Come, come Holy Spirit. I want you right now inside your heart to say, Jesus, come in. Jesus, I invite you. Shepherd of shepherds, come into my life. I am broken. I've disqualified myself. I've made a mess or no. Maybe you haven't made a mess. Maybe you're okay, but that's fine. You need him anyway. Say, Jesus, come in. I, I acknowledge you. You are the Lord. You are the Son of God. You are my Savior, and my sins are forgiven right now because you have come into my life. I am just and pure. Lord, forgive my offenses. Forgive my sins. I've, made a, I've, I've offended you, but thank you for being so generous. You forgive me, and I accept your forgiveness this morning. Come on. There's no sin too big for Christ to forgive. As a matter of fact, I think he revels in the bigness of our sins, okay? If it's been big and, and, and ugly, then the more enthusiastic he is about covering it with his blood. He loves a challenge.
and there are no challenges for you. Come on, revel in the goodness of God right now. Celebrate a new life, celebrate a new identity, celebrate a new name. You are a creature of God, you're a child of God. Don't let the devil take that away from you. When you leave this place, don't let him start lying to you that nothing has changed. Something big has changed. The foundation has changed. The foundation has changed. And, and things will begin to be built upon that foundation slowly. Okay? Sometimes we don't see the foundation, but it's the most important piece of everything. And God will start building in your life. He's doing it in many of you. Don't grow weary of the process. Stay at it. Visualize God putting beams and columns inside your life. He's slowly replacing the old and the scrawny and the broken and the, uh, you know, just uh, that that doesn't reflect God's life. He will take it and he will replace it with something beautiful, good, new, hopeful, perfect. He's doing it, okay? And believe him as, he, as you go through your life now. The stages of life, stay at it. Read his word. Seek him out. Seek the company and the warmth of your brothers and sisters. Stay in a community that, that is engaged in that same process, okay? And, and I tell you, you won't recognize yourself in a few months. God will be making progress. He will be tearing down the old and replacing it with the very new. Perfect. My sister, God loves you. You're precious to him. You're a princess. You're a princess to him. And we rejoice in seeing what he might do and he will do in your life. Praise the Lord. I hope that you have made that decision, even if you didn't come forward. And maybe someday you want to humble yourself and do that and publicly declare Christ's importance in your life. We, we give you honor and glory, Father. I declare these individuals, these men and women, property of the kingdom of God. I put the cross on their foreheads. And Satan, you will have to look at that cross before you try to attack them. I encircle them with the protective fire of God's kingdom. I put the seal of the Spirit in your lives. As you become a child of God through Jesus Christ, this, the, the enemy has no power over your life. He has no claim. He will tell you that he does, but he doesn't have it. Legally, he does not have any power over your life. Jesus owns you. And I declare God's goodness and favor in your life and on all of you. This morning, as you leave this place, know who you are and know your identity. You are a preferred child of God. You're in the company of shepherds, and you are overseen by the, the, the shepherd of shepherds. Give the Lord a big hand, and let's celebrate. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's here. He's in our lives this morning. Amen. Merry Christmas. If you accepted Christ, you can say Merry Christmas, because that really will have meaning for you now. Praise the Lord. Amen.